0: and welcome to the Fallon Forum, where we, of course, continue to bring you independent voices and civil dialogue across the political divide. I'm Ed Fallon. I'm your host, and we're coming to you from the heart of America's heartland, Des Moines, Iowa. And as always, if you are listening or watching this program live on the Fallon Forum Facebook page, you are most welcome to join this conversation. You can send us a text message at 515-519-6323. That's 515-519-6323 and we will call you back and bring you into the conversation as soon as we are able if you value what we do folks and I hope you do you could uh, make a difference by supporting what we do you know you can visit the donations page on the Fallon forum website or if you run a small business you can become a regular business sponsor and speaking of sponsors thanks to gateway marketing cafe uh, that's our neighborhood grocery store here and uh, Des Moines locally owned and specialty food store. Gateways Cafe is open seven days a week for carryout, dining and delivery service. They've also got a floral and catering service. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Uh, thanks also to Westrom Optometry located in Des Moines East Village. Uh, Dr. Joel Westrom is fluent in both Spanish and English, so is his staff. The clinic is open from Monday through Friday from 9 in the morning until 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry. I would like to welcome to the program today Chuck Eisenhart. He's a state representative from Dubuque, a Democrat. He's been serving for quite a few years now. Fourteen. Fourteen years. Chuck, congratulations. You have matched my time at the State House. Uh, To be... uh... (laughs) To be continued. <laughs> to be continued. Oh, good. You're going to break my break my own oh, personal. Hopefully record. that's not the
1: only compliment you have no. for me. Well,
0: <laughs> I like your goatee. <laughs> <laughs> and I like what you're doing with this Green Amendment thing. I mean, we're going to talk about the CO2 pipelines, but first I want to start off by talking more generally about climate. And you've been working on something called the Green Amendment. Tell us about that.
1: Well, as you know, as state legislators, we have an opportunity to become associated with uh, groups around the state and around the country, helping legislators with legislative issues and uh, exposing us to what's happening in other states. Good examples of either movements, legislation, that type of thing. I personally have been for many years affiliated with the National Caucus of Environmental Legislators. I'm also on the Natural Resources and Infrastructure Committee of the National Conference of State Legislatures. They have uh, an ag task force that I've been a part of. Uh, And so as part of my work uh, in the legislature on committees like environmental protection, natural resources, agriculture, and budget subcommittees related to that, really rely on some of the Uh, ideas that we get from other legislators. Okay, so where does the Green Amendment come in? So the Green Amendment is an idea that uh, came to me from a woman named Maya Van Rossum, Mm -hmm. who's running the Green Amendment movement. She's written a book of that title. I I know her, yeah, sure. She's running... And and the Green
0: Amendment is... How is it different from the Green New Deal, which is, I think, a concept that more people are familiar with?
1: Good question. Three states now that I'm aware of, Pennsylvania, Montana, and most recently November, of 2021, New York adopted state constitutional amendments saying that people have a right to a clean environment. Uh, So it's an amendment at the state level, basically rolling
0: concern about the environment as a public uh, necessity into the constitution. A public
1: good so that states will have a positive obligation um, to do what's necessary to protect their natural resources and to avoid damaging them unnecessarily to create a balance to some of the other issues that we often uh, see uh, as we deal with policy from folks who use our natural resources. And which states have already enacted such an amendment? Uh, Pennsylvania,
0: Montana, and now state of New York. Montana. Now that's, uh, you know, that you might expect some of those more bluer states in the east, but uh, this is Montana. Uh, well, actually, a fairly populous history. So what has that done, for example, do you know what has that done in Montana in terms of affecting? in a positive way, the environment?
1: I'm not familiar specifically with Montana. And many of these, in some cases, these amendments go back some time. In mm-hmm. Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. where Maya has worked, um, it was used most recently to create standing for people in communities where fracking was proposed to take place within the corporate limits. And by standing, you mean? To, to go to the courts and say, no, our green amendment, right? our amendment, in the Constitution saying people have a right to clean environment gives us the ability to contest these types of policies, and they won in state court.
0: Okay, okay. because on the Great March for Climate Action, we walked through some areas that have been very severely impacted by fracking, and people whose well water was contaminated well beyond their ability to use it anymore. So would that that be the sort of example of somebody who could bring a grievance to the state because of the addition of the amendment to the Constitution?
1: um, That's an example of how in Pennsylvania, their Green Amendment was used. Maya was specifically involved in that and I think created the basis of her book, The Green Amendment. Okay. So
0: I mean, and again, this program uh, is is heard in seven different states. So I like to make sure that I
1: people... hope that Maya will come on sometime. <laughs> well, and that'd tell be great. Actually, about how, I do know. I know so in should... New Mexico, there she's also working with folks there. Good, because
0: New Mexico is one of the states that do air this program. So, the uh, but let me ask you about Iowa, because again, we've um, Iowa gone from being that purple state in the north, north central part of the country to that that bright red Alabama-like state just south of Minnesota. Uh, you know, if if I want to talk about the politics of getting it passed, but if it passed here, what would it do? What could someone with an environmental grievance, water quality, air quality, land use issue, what could they do with an amendment like that?
1: Well, let's just say that we would find that out in 2026. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Because, as you know, a state constitutional amendment needs to pass two successive legislatures and then be approved in a general election by the folks in the state. What I see its primary usefulness in the short term being is a way to re- reunite, frankly, the conservation environmental movement in Iowa that's become very fractured in recent years due to the way we have fiddled as a state legislature, not Democrats, Republicans and the governor, okay, well. with the <laughs> I will amendment that 63% of Iowans passed in 2010. Oh, that's the
0: amendment to create a fund for Uh, Natural Resources resources and Outdoor Recreation. And that passed overwhelmingly. Yes. And And it has state out without any any movement at all.
1: Well, it had some movement recent years. The governor proposed that um, it be enacted, but made some radical changes to how it would be used. Most recently, um, the Republicans have proposed enacting it, but doing so by reversing the local option sales tax, Hmm. so that it would be presumably a net neutral as far as sales tax payers. So you mentioned New Mexico, at what point, how far along is New
0: Mexico in terms of uh, looking at this, adopting this this Green Amendment?
1: I don't know, but I can tell you the folks from the national movement have been there personally, Mm -hmm. and I think that would be a marker for us, you know, if we can get some grassroots, and that's my initial goal, what is the grassroots taste and interest?
0: And are there other states that are making progress toward it?
1: Again, I would encourage you to contact Maya Van Rossum. I don't okay. claim to be an amendment right, on the right, National right. Green Amendment movement. I know yeah. what we're trying to do with it in okay, Iowa. Okay, so back to
0: Iowa. The, uh, again, solid Republican control, the House and Senate, Republican governor. Uh, what, is, uh, what, what is happening this year and what are the prospects of it moving forward?
1: Well, we introduced House Joint Resolution 12 last year. And that House Joint Resolution 12 would establish? That is the Green Amendment language. Um, There are individual members of the House coming on board weekly as they learn about it. Any Republicans? Um, To this date, no Republicans have signed on. Frankly, I think they need to hear from. Folks in their districts right. about and, what this would mean for them, and I think in the future we would see that happen. And what would a
0: what would a, a Republican voter in a rural district, who's uh, I mean a lot I mean conservation is is a bipartisan phenomenon. People care about it's an being, a-partisan. a partisan all right. It's a partisan. There you go. That's a better way. Nonpartisan, a partisan. People care about the environment. Uh, you know, there's a big crowd that likes to hunt and fish and camp and hike and canoe and boat and those folks are concerned about, about conservation. A lot of them, I mean, I bet most of those people voted for this I will amendment. And I bet some of them, a lot of them might maybe, would be supportive of the Green Amendment. So what could they say to their Republican member of the Iowa legislature to
1: encourage them to get behind this? Well, fundamenta- fundamentally, this is not a political issue. It's a personal issue for many people because they experience this in personal ways in their locations. And I think over the last two years, many people, as you know, have been getting outside a lot more than they used to (laughs) due to the pandemic and experiencing their natural environment a lot more than they used to and have developed a new appreciation for it and have learned about some of the threats to it.
0: One of the few upsides to COVID.
1: Clean water, of course, has become a perennial issue in Iowa, and that's experienced in different ways throughout the state. In northeast Iowa, I can say, if it's anything like southwest wisconsin upwards of 40 percent of the private wells are contaminated with e coli nitrates and other and where's
0: that where i mean the nitrates are probably coming from farm chemical runoff where's the e coli coming from
1: um e coli typically enters through animal or human waste streams okay
0: and that's been a problem in northeast iowa the other problem, one thing i know about northeast iowa is you've got the only trout fishing streams in the state and i'm guessing that not all the people out fishing for trout on, on those rivers are Democrats. <laughs> I'm guessing that there's pretty yes. a, a pretty broad mix of people who don't care about, they're apolitical, but they want to see that that stream protected. So how would the Green Amendment, if the Green Amendment were enacted, again, it would take a while to get there because of our constitutional pro, our, our process, but if it were enacted, how could it be used to protect those trout streams?
1: Well, I think one of the Entry points that we're making with this, this happens to be the 50th anniversary of the Clean Water Act. And I think one of the things we can do, and I'd like to do, is get as many cities and counties adopting resolutions recognizing that fact, not only how far we've come, but how far we continue to need to go, and create those conversations at the local level. But one of the things we don't do, and one of the things I think we should be doing, and perhaps, I can't explain, connect all the dots, an amendment would. Put the position, the state, in the position of actually having to routinely measure the quality of water in every stream to determine whether or not um, it's being threatened, and and developing plans to remediate those threats when they're documented.
0: And just that right there, the fact that uh, the amendment might require a more accurate monitoring of water quality issues, that right right there might 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 get you some opposition from some of the larger entities that represent Big Ag,
1: correct? Well you've asked me to give you an example. I said that hypothetically could be one. Right. Uh, I think we're focusing on where the common ground is and I think you've seen many other aspects of our natural resource use that agriculture can and should be considering um, as we move forward. I think preservation of farmland could be one but also the Organic matter in and, and the protection of those soil resources. Make sure they don't flow down the river to inc- okay. increase the land mass of Louisiana. Well, you
0: know, the, by land by land mass, you mean dead dead zone.
1: <laughs>
0: the dead well, zone. the water
1: certainly creates the dead zone. Well, but well, it's, it's the it's, nitrates in the water. It's, and it's the, actually uh, sinking yeah. uh, Louisiana. They'd actually love to have our soil oh. to prevent that. <laughs> well, yeah, but. But overall, we Iowa soil in the Gulf of Mexico is a losing proposition
0: for the state of Louisiana. Right now, every county yeah.
1: can have a policy that allows up to five tons per acre of top of soil to be lost. That's a that should change. It should change. Yeah, and I and I, th- and so I think oh, hypothetically a case could be made that a green amendment would um, engender uh, some revisiting of that. So, policy. so back to my question
0: though, who are, are there? There there is legislation. It's House Joint Resolution Twelve, I believe you said. Yes. And are there any entities lined up in opposition to it?
1: Uh, not that I'm aware of. It's I don't check every day. Right. Iowa Farm typ- Bureau? Typically, what we've seen in my experience in recent years, if groups don't see any bill for that matter as something likely to be discussed, they don't bother to take... Position. So okay,
0: them, so they don't bother to stick their necks out. They off. tend so to they be,
1: tend to ignore. So they
0: don't see Republicans wanting to bring this House Joint Resolution up, so they're not going to bother to register against it. But I mean, I would has anybody talked with the Iowa Farm Bureau, for example, and I'm just holding out that, them as an example as, as one of the strongest um, voices within the within Big Ag that I would think might be opposed to this. Well, as, as I've not said, not that they should
1: be, but they might be. <laughs> As I've said in this stage of the discussion, I think my goal, modestly, is to get conversations about this going among the conservation and environmental groups. And to the extent that Farm Bureau has staff or people on board interested in those issues, perhaps at the county level, many counties may have more of an interest in this than others have that consideration flow up from the local areas.
0: Well, and that's how how a group like Farm Bureau is historically inclined to work, supposed to work. You know, you get input from local farmers to their local county Farm Bureau, and that percolates up to the state and the national levels.
1: I can say that this is not targeted at any specific issue or any group's particular interests.
0: So, and I, I know that a group like the Isaac Walton League, which also tends to have you know, fairly conservative membership, but a very strong conservation ethic. I would think they would also find this appealing.
1: Perhaps, Perhaps. I mean, we've had courts in the past say, we're not gonna entertain any other buddies lawsuits because we think that's a state policy issue. Mm. And there's really nothing out there that requires us to take up any environmental conservation issue in the state legislature. Perhaps having a green amendment could change that dynamic.
0: Folks, this is Ed Fallon with you here. Uh, Representative Chuck Eisenhardt, a Democrat from Dubuque County, Iowa, joining us in the studio today. We've been talking about uh, climate, the environment, conservation, and the proposed Green Amendment. We're gonna take a short break. If you're listening to our program live on Facebook, uh, you can cho- uh, tune in and join the conversation. We'll be back in a minute with, uh, with more talk here on the Fallon Forum. Gateway and Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located, at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community.
2: You're responsible for a lot. And it's easy to become overwhelmed, to feel helpless, even hopeless. What's not so easy is finding your way back to feeling and functioning better. Psychiatrist Dr. David Drake helps individuals and couples throughout Iowa with the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling. Dr. Drake also prescribes medication when needed, and his services are offered on a self-pay basis. If you need help, don't delay. Contact Dr. Drake at daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com.
0: back to the Fallon Forum. And if you are listening to our live broadcast on Facebook, text your name to 515-519-6323 if you want to join the conversation. And we will call you back to bring you into that conversation as soon as we can. You know, at a time when big corporations control most of the uh, media, our niche here is more important than ever. Yeah, please, uh, you know, support what we, what we do. Spread the word. Listen to the program. Talk it up with your friends and if you can do it, become a monthly sponsor. We sure could use more people doing that. And speaking of sponsors, thanks to Story County Veterinary Clinic where Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for all creatures, great and small, as I like to say, for over 30 years. You can learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page. Thanks also to psychiatrist Dr. David Drake. If you live in Iowa, wherever you live in Iowa, Dr. Drake can help through the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling offered on a self-pay basis. Contact DavidDrakeFamilyPsychiatry.com All right again this is Ed Fallon, Chuck Eisenhardt in the studio with me and you know the um, the the carbon dioxide pipelines have been, have been a huge issue and I, I want to talk with you about that but I want to give people an update on something that transpired last week and uh, I, I happened to have an inside peek at what was going on, I, I, I heard a, a couple days ahead of time, I heard from one of my Republican allies, if I may, uh, that this was going to transpire. I had to keep it under my hat, I did. And uh, what transpired was a a, um, a procedural effort in the House state government committee that basically uh, replaced a bill on cosmetology, and I mean that, that bill I guess is still alive somewhere else. So it ditched the cosmetology language and substituted language protecting uh, people from the use of eminent domain for one year. It's a one year window, basically forcing the pipeline companies to go out and sign voluntary easements. And uh, in, that one year, in, in that one year interval between now and next March, uh, eminent domain may not be granted by the Iowa Utility Board to a company seeking to build a carbon dioxide pipeline across Iowa. Uh, I was surprised that uh, uh, one Republican voted against that, one Republican abstained, refused to vote on it, and all the Democrats voted against it. I was, um, I was kind of blown away by that. <laughs> all nine Democrats on the committee voted against uh, that proposal. And you weren't on that committee, Chuck, I don't believe. No. But maybe you have some insight into what's going on here, why, why that became a partisan issue.
1: Well, I don't know that the issue itself is partisan. As you said, I'm not on the committee and frankly, I've not had any substantive discussions with people who were in that committee meeting. Uh, My guess is that it was more of a process related question. You may recall that many years ago, we received what we called a raccoon bill from the Senate and the House went about changing everything about it on the floor through an amendment to turn it into a mourning dove hunting bill. <laughs> which is a gross violation of the process. Well, uh, typically, is it, why is it a gross violation well, of the it's process? Well, never, it's never happened before okay. where you would <laughs> basically take a bill that's gone through the subcommittee process, the committee process, passed another chamber, right, and then you totally change it in the other house without having the benefit of a subcommittee and committee deliberation where the public would have a chance to, to weigh in. Um, so my guess is that that was the primary um, source of the angst over that bill. Okay.
0: But, but, but I mean, the, 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 the legislative process is, uh, well, it's been described as what? Uh, uh, making sausage? and <laughs> Some of the most um, uh, unfortunate developments have occurred in the very tail end of the session. Uh, that's when Prairie Meadows was established. That's when the Iowa Communication Network was established. And in both cases, Democrats were in charge. And they were... There were some questions about the procedural integrity of that, and yet it was allowed. It was legal. Um, and I know that legislators are, all, legislators are always including in budget bills things that aren't budget matters, just in order to get them in there and get them done. So, I mean, to me, if, if, if Democrats' primary objection was based on procedure,
1: that rings hollow to me. Well, I can't speak for previous legislatures. Um, I was in the majority for only two years and I was a freshman at that time. So I also had no power (laughs) during those two years. Um, It could be that it was just the fact that it was a surprise brought up at the last minute that, hey, you know, we didn't have time to consider it and this is gonna happen in this meeting. Um, Bobby Kaufman said, voters don't care about process, they want results. Well, if that's true, then we would have Donald Trump as president. Because people didn't care about the process no, of that election. They just wanted that result. Um, and so I that's think that's different, Chuck. That's it, real different. So I think the concept of the process is important. And I think that's a separate issue from the content of any bill that may be considered. You've asked me to speculate on yeah. why that happened. That's why I think it okay.
0: happened. Okay. Well and the other the other the other thing I've heard is, well, it doesn't go far enough. It's only a year. Well come on, this is we all know that in, in the legislature, you've got to get what you can get. It requires compromise. Sometimes you yeah. sell for half a cake.
1: Sometimes you'd be happy with a third of a cake. If I were on that committee, the question I would have asked is, is it a reasonable proposition that the Iowa Utilities Board would even act on the application in that time frame? And are they creating a window of time that would be exist in existence anyhow?
0: Summit has already filed, so yeah. I mean, I, I think the IUB is on notice that they're they're expected through the through their process to respond to Summit's request for a permit to build a pipeline and a, and permission to
1: use eminent domain to do so. Sure. So I, yeah, I. But there's a lot of <clears throat> dots that need eyes uh, that need to be crossed and T's that mm-hmm. need to be dotted. And who knows how long that, and plus public input to take, and who knows what any number let's, of issues might come up. Let's
0: uh, go to our phone lines again. You're welcome to join the conversation at 515-519-6323. This is um, Maureen, uh, Maureen McHugh. Hello. How are
3: you? Uh, hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. And, uh, I, I'm sorry. I, I wasn't listening for just the last half a minute just oh, before you well. called me. Uh, you so, didn't miss uh, much. I, okay. What's All on right. your
0: okay. mind, relevant to CO two pipelines? And again, uh, Representative Eisenhower, 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 kind Eisenhower, enough to join us in the studio. Yes,
3: General. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I just wanted to say that a I thought it was important that they're talking about yet another amendment, um, a green amendment. Ah. Sounds like a great thing, but as you mentioned before, there was the I will amendment that still has been ignored. Um, however, um, the other thing about even if this amendment passes, the one thing that jumps out at me is, you know, it wouldn't pass if it did for another four years, it wouldn't have regulations, um, it wouldn't go into force, probably six years, and we're facing some real environmental and climate challenges in the interim, Mm -hmm. and one of which is the idea of these pipelines, uh, as far as I'm concerned, thank goodness they're put off for at least the next year. However, what people don't think about, haven't been talking about, is the real health hazards that um, this whole process represents from the idea of capturing CO2 sounds lovely, we should, we need, (laughs) but more than that, we need to stop producing it. And if we're going to only capture it so we can continue to produce it, um, there's a problem right there because the things that are um, producing the c o two are also producing all those other pollutants are', are called you because know, that's that seems
0: it seems very likely to me, and I maybe get chucked away on this too, that the uh, pipeline companies intend to use that captured c o two for enhanced oil recovery. Is that your impression as well, Chuck?
1: Well, I think the discussion we're starting to have really gets at more of the important uh, aspects of this. Uh, debate. I think the eminent domain issue kind of becomes the emblem, you know, the thing we actually fight over One, the pipeline itself and why we're doing it needs to be the discussion. Okay, yeah, um, and
0: so yeah, and, and about that, I mean, I, a lot of people are saying this is not a real climate solution, uh, and I think that's where Maureen probably comes down as well. Do you, do you think yeah. this is the climate
1: solution? Um, the it- scientists have told us that Ethanol production which and it's these pipelines are primarily designed to get the carbon from ethanol production to other states and buried is a minor or a modest improvement over, you know, burning all fossil fuel gases in our however, the argument is also made that if you include the negative aspects of widespread corn production, and the, and the, and the impacts that has on our water and soil resources, that the net benefit of ethanol and therefore piping the uh, carbon up to other states does not make it a worthwhile consideration. Now, the Iowa Utilities Board has to make a finding that there is a public use or benefit to a pipeline before they can grant the permit, especially the eminent domain powers. My goal all along, and I'm in the minority, so I can't make any of this happen, is to get a robust discussion about what is the public use and public benefit. Iowa does not have a climate action plan in place. If we had one, we could measure the wisdom of this proposal against what our climate goals as a state are. Right. I have offered an amendment on a bill, utilities board bill, that probably won't be debated <laughs> that would require Sorry. us to adopt a yeah. climate action plan and for the Iowa utilities board to measure the proposal for the pipeline about whether or not it would be justified based on that I, that climate action plan. That's a long-term process that would make take much longer than a year or two <laughs> and I don't know that the folks who want to build these pipelines are ready to wait, considering mm-hmm. the fact that the Biden administration is putting $12.1 billion on the table and for, for carbon, for, uh, carbon sequestration, for carbon sequestration yeah. and offering $50 per ton if people want to put it mm-hmm. in a pipe and ship it somewhere. So that's why it's, it's a tricky issue, even uh, politically, as you got the, f- national, the federal government, the Biden administration yeah. saying they're good things. Makes it difficult for Democrats to say that there is a party position on that well, as well.
0: I mean, I, okay. I, I, let me say what That's I want to say uh, because I want to. Def- I want to defer to Maureen before we move on sure. to another caller. Maureen, you want to respond to that? Um.
3: Yeah. I- I, I understand I'm talking to two politicians. No, no, I'm a recovering but, uh, politician, please. <laughs> a former politician. The idea that we as physicians, as public health people, want to get across is that the public is totally uninformed about any of this. And so we are trying to put on a, a national conference examining carbon capture through a public health and an environmental justice lens Mm -hmm. which is a very different approach and the thing is that um we can kind of slow things down perhaps politically but i think we need to up the game and we really need people to be informed about how dangerous the whole life cycle is i mean Uh, Eisenhart sort of listed some of them that we know about we're talking about ethanol itself being a real problem we're talking about enhanced oil recovery being a real problem we're um, ignoring the fact that concentrated co2 in these pipelines is extremely toxic and dangerous and deadly and and um, the whole process from the get-go is outrageously expensive provides little proof that it's effective and most of all is well known to be highly toxic and we're just not talking about that so So that's the role of public health so maureen i I agree i
0: agree with you that we should have that conversation is there any effort underway to convene such a broad conversation at the national level
3: Yes, well, I mean, among public health people there is, and we're doing um, ourselves here, we're sponsoring with national um, PSR and with a number of, of nationally represented organizations a whole 90 uh, minute webinar on the ACE, uh, looking at these public health, toxic health conditions that are part and parcel of okay. the entire. Boondoggle called um, carbon capture, and, and that's on uh, that's on
0: April eighth.
3: On April eighth, and are, yes, pe- are people
0: be- welcome to participate in that?
3: They certainly are. How do it'll they how
0: do they go about doing here. that? Pardon? How do they go about doing that?
3: Um, it's going to be a webinar, and um, people can join the webinar. It's going to be co-sponsored by the Science Environmental Health Network okay. and by National Physicians for Social Responsibility. Okay. Right. And um, there will be time for a question and answers, and we have sever- several nationally known speakers from the public right. health community who will be speaking to the various um okay concerns about toxic elements and, Good to know. and yeah. opportunity costs. That, well, thank you, Maureen.
0: We'll, uh, we'll try well. to get the word out about that, too. Um, thank you for joining us. appreciate the call. Uh, again, and folks, if you want to be a part of the conversation, uh, 515-519-6323. 515-519-6323. Text us. That's right. Text us your number. and We'll get back to you and bring you into the conversation. I can Uh, say a thing or two quickly about what Maureen said, I
1: think she brought up some very important issues and unfortunately I don't think members of the utilities board will be listening in on their meeting. Anybody who has that concern or any other concern, pro or con, on an application before the utilities board can themselves become what they call an intervener and directly testify and answer questions of the people proposing and asking for the... uh, uh, permit, yeah. and they gonna uh,
0: apply to be an intervener. The IUB may or may not grant them the th- right to do it, so.
1: And I think, if for example, if anybody lives in a county that's affected, they're going to be granted. I, in my okay. experience, they're very generous about creating that connectivity and allowing people to do that. Okay. So that's one direction. I think when the time comes, it'd make it be useful for you to let your uh, your listeners know about.
0: Okay. Um, yeah. And again, I I think. You know, back to the legislation, the, the the amendment that was proposed in committee that that passed out of state government committee with only Republican support, uh, that will probably be debated um, on the floor of the House, and I know again we know there was one Republican in the in the committee that voted against it, one that abstained, and uh, you know it seems like this is going to have to be and should be a bipartisan effort if it's going to pass, and. I know that one of the arguments was, well, we haven't had enough discussion about this. We don't like it just popping up, uh, without having gone through the subcommittee meeting, subcommittee process, without having some some more time to look into it. But on its face value, this is a fairly simple proposal. This is, we will not allow these companies to use eminent domain for the next year while we see what kind of traction their proposal gets on a voluntary basis. Fairly simple concept. Mm-hmm. So. The poli- see, policy-wise, I, don't under- I, don't, I do not understand why Democrats opposed it. Uh, I, I, I don't get that at all.
1: Well, if it yeah. does come to the floor, my guess is that you're gonna have, uh, you know, people voting on both sides of that issue. Mm-hmm. And I really don't think that there's necessarily a party position because even within the party, there are folks who have different perspectives on whether or not a pipeline should happen and, and why it should or should not. If I could say, I really come to this, not so much as a Democrat, not a Demo- as a Democrat, or even as a legislator. I used to be, in my early years, a reporter, mm-hmm. an investigative reporter. I've written a lot about issues like this. So you're used to, you're used to trying to be and, balanced? And so, <laughs> well, I kind of look at it with the reporter's eyes and not necessarily the legislator's or a partisan's eyes. And I go back to, you know, in terms of informing the discussion uh, the meeting I attended in Delaware County, where the Navigator Greenway, I believe, the other carbon yeah, pipeline, not Navigator, Summits, right. uh, held a community meeting, and the person there said, "I think this is fairly close to a quote that their project would not have a meaningful impact on the reduction of atmospheric carbon."
0: This is one of the proponents said that.
1: This is somebody from the N- Navigator. Applicant. Yes. and that the reason they're doing it is to enhance the economic viability of the ethanol industry hmm. and so that gets me back to that whole yeah. question of what's does this make sense from that larger perspective um, of the, our climate goals right. and how do we make sure that there's a robust discussion about that hmm. as we go forward
0: I, I want to talk about that assertion in context of who is behind the navigated proposal. Again, this is Ed Fallon, uh, Representative Chuck Eisenhart, my guest. Uh, We've got to take a short break, and then we'll be right back with more conversation on the Fallon Forum.
1: Groovy Goods is your Des Moines one-stop hippie shop. Located near Drake University, we are more than just a store. Groovy Goods is about community. We're a tribe brought together by peace, love, and rock and roll. You will be greeted by friendly staff, the smell of incense, the vibration of healing stones and crystals, the vibrant colors of clothing and tapestries, and an extensive herbal apothecary and metaphysical products. At Groovy Goods, everyone is welcome and no one is judged. Check us out online, groovy-goods.com, or stop in at the corner of 23rd and University
0: in Des Moines. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m., and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines' East Village. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum, and if you are listening to our live broadcast on Facebook, remember, you can join us by texting your name to 515-519-6323, that's 515-519-6323, and then we'll call you right back and bring you into the conversation. And again, you can support this alternative to the right-wing shock jocks by becoming a monthly donor or a business sponsor. You can check out the Fallon Forum website for details, and thanks to Architecture by Synthesis, adamantly and actively supporting the mission of the Fallon Form and community radio stations, owner Mark Clipsham knows we have to build better health for both people and planet, and the services he provides are committed to that goal. That's Architecture by Synthesis. All right, uh, Chuck, um, so Navigator, who is that? I mean, that that's a great name. Well, the Navigator Pipeline will never get our way through your cornfields. You know, I mean, and you know, what what does that mean? Navigator Pipeline, it's Valero, it's the big oil company, it's BlackRock. You know, there isn't much in 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 my experience that BlackRock is connected to that I find politically, socially, or morally, uh, you know, acceptable. That's what's behind the Navigator Pipeline. So when they say that they're 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 here because they're concerned about the ethanol industry. I'm just not buying that. Valero has never cared about the corn, the corn industry.
1: Well, I think they're in it for the fifty dollar. Yeah, sure, exactly.
0: Yeah. So why don't Sub- they just say that? Subsidy.
1: Why don't they just say that? We're in it for the
0: public handout. We're in it for corporate welfare. I mean, just say it. Just say it. You know.
1: Well, they haven't made up this issue of the the that burying carbon dioxide would be good. I mean, they're responding. Somebody out there is saying that. People at the, you know, legislators at the national level have said that. And maybe they (laughs) seeded that, I don't know, but they're responding to that. I guess the one differentiation, based on my knowledge between that pipeline and the others, is Navigator is going to Illinois, where there is no recovery, enhanced Uh, oil, gas recovery. Yes, there is. Perhaps you know differently. Yes, there is. Absolutely there is. And I think that's one of the questions that's out there. Will this, in fact, be buried, or will will it be used to create more generate more fossil fuels, well, which would change the calculation about whether or not it's a good... Well, here, for the here, here's the kicker,
0: Chuck. I mean, I, I have asked the officials at Summit point blank on a couple occasions, will you commit to not using this for enhanced oil recovery? And they say things like, it's not in our plan to do so at this time. And I say, okay, well, then when you commit in writing not to use this for extracting more oil. No, we can't do that because something might change, our business plan might change, opportunities might arise. They aren't willing to make that commitment, and neither is Navigator. And if you're not willing to commit in writing to something you say you believe in, that tells me that you're, what you're saying uh, is pretty hollow. I mean, you, you've been in politics a long time. I mean sure and I think a lot of promises som- are made that are and, pretty
1: hollow. and I think that's something that uh, should be brought up and I presume will be brought up as part of the permit process um, the bigger picture that informs this uh, as I am as I'm told as I've read in North Dakota they have the power of the law to require perhaps that it be used for recovery and not just buried Um, So maybe we should be waiting until North Dakota decides one way or another on that before we determine what Iowa's position is. Um, So in the broader perspective, Iowans in rural counties in particular, where the land that needs to be used for these pipelines is, ultimately a a definitive decision can only be made on perhaps this, but certainly on future pipelines, by the voters in those districts. Is the opposition broad-based enough? Is it strong enough to elicit people to run well, to the legislature in those counties on either ticket, Democrat or Republican?
0: Well, this is how strong the opposition is. Uh, there are about 50 counties where this pipeline would run through. These pipelines would run through 24, I believe. Twenty-four county
1: boards of supervisors
0: have registered objections with the utility board. Right. That
1: is incredible. The, I mean, how many of those count supervisors are running for the legislature to actually make that decision?
0: Uh, probably not that many. But the uh, the bottom line is, these are, and again, these are partisan off- offices. And again, most of the rural Republicans, yeah. uh, rural rural supervisors, are probably Republicans. But they wouldn't make that they wouldn't take that position if it was not represented. Not, didn't represent a, a big component of their constituency. And I'm so, just
1: making the observation that. The legislators in the counties where this is having a direct impact, the pipeline, are more influential in this discussion than mostly urban legislators like me that the pipeline doesn't touch.
0: Well, where urban legislators come in is they can start standing with rural communities and saying, hey, yeah, we want to help protect you from the misuse of eminent domain and the risk that might come to your land and water, so we're going to support... We're going to support a one-year moratorium
1: on eminent an domain. And I don't necessarily disagree. I'm simply saying that if there were candidates standing up for that, whether Democrat or Republican in those counties, that would send a stronger signal mm-hmm. to legislators elsewhere that it's something they should be paying attention
0: and, to. And let, me, let me talk about the politics of this for a second, Chuck. Um, Iowa has gone from being—I mean, you, you, you made a point. When you were, when you were first elected, you were a, a, in the majority for two years. And that, um, that's been a while. <laughs> and Iowa has only become more and more Republican uh, in the last decade. And I don't see that changing at all. Um, I mean, I think the prospects for Democrats this fall don't look very encouraging to me at all. And I thought for a while, well, one opportunity Democrats might have is, since Republicans weren't taking action on on addressing these, uh, these CO2 pipelines, maybe Democrats could jump on that that to jump into that void and say, hey, we're your champions, we're going to make sure that this tool that has historically been for, you know, taking land for a public purpose will not be used to take your land for a private company. And that didn't happen. And instead, when the opportunity came in state government committee last week to vote at least to allow further discussion of a bill that would limit eminent domain, Democrats all voted no. I mean. It seems to me like there's a death wish out there. I mean, I, I I can't think of a worse vote for Democrats to have taken leading up to a very contested election this fall.
1: Well, it was a committee vote and You're right. your caller needs to understand that it has to go through both chambers yet and signed by the governor before it becomes law. And that may be a big question mark would the governor sign it. People are, in general, we don't like to vote for bills that aren't gonna become law if those bills honk off. constituency important to us Um, I think that as a general proposition that's true
0: but I mean leadership is all about pushing legislation that needs to happen even if it might not be popular with certain influential characters right in
1: some cases I mean
0: and actually eminent domain is a great example my very last vote Chuck as a lawmaker was on an eminent domain bill Uh, and it was the year before you got in because we've never actually served together you get in, I think, the very year I got out, <laughs> in fact. No, no, a couple years later. But the um, the legislature had passed another eminent domain bill pro- providing some protections to landowners, some additional responsibilities to public entities that wanted to use eminent domain. And again, this is before the time when it was ever considered that a private company would yeah. get eminent domain.
1: And there was and, a similar bill after I came regarding a public lake in, uh, sure, in Clark County. Clark County. Yeah. Where I think the Republican legislator ran on that. No, we shouldn't be using eminent epinom- uh, I mean, domain I, for a public lake. Yeah, I was
0: very involved with that too. Uh, that 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 had been going on for a long time. But this bill passed overwhelmingly. Democrats, Republicans supporting it, ninety something to whatever in the House, and um, and the governor Vilsack vetoed it. And even though Democrats were a significant min- minority at that point. Uh, when we came back into special session in, I believe, July of 2006, uh, six, most Democrats voted with Republicans to override the governor's veto. So I can, I'm, I'm saying, okay. So what if Governor Reynolds decides to veto this eminent domain bill passed by an overwhelming majority of both House Republicans and Democrats, Senate House Senate Democrats and Republicans? If she decides to veto it. Well, maybe history would repeat itself, and what happened to Vilsack back in '06 could happen to her this year. I mean, I'm just speculating that, mm-hmm. uh, I don't see any reason why the legislature wouldn't want to push this. I mean, again, I'm not, I'm not voting on it. I'm not, I, you know, it's not, it's not my thing. <laughs> but as a person on the outside, yeah. and I'm thinking about, hmm, the politics of this. It really, it really it, I mean, again, policy-wise, I think it makes a lot of sense, but po- politically, it just seems like it's a, it's, a, it's an easy slam dunk for Democrats in particular.
1: Well, as you know, when you're in the minority, you don't decide what bills uh, proceed and which ones come up for debate. If this one comes up for debate, I guarantee you that robust discussion will be taking place. As and it
0: should, as it should, yeah.
1: I Meanwhile, there are hundreds of other bills out there and from day to day, we don't know which ones are coming up and we have to be prepared for all of sure, them. So of to course, to a certain extent, from a leadership perspective, that limited time that you have to prepare for debate and decide how we're going to vote on a whole range of bills that frankly many of which attack the interests of your core constituencies Mm -hmm. there's a little bit of triage involved in terms of where we focus our attention Mm -hmm. if this bill comes up I guarantee you that there will be an internal discussion
0: Well, my impression is that if if, uh, the Republicans supporting it think they've got enough support among Democrats it will come up so my question to you is, will there be support among Democrats for it?
1: I believe that you, you would see, you will see Democrats mm-hmm. voting for it. Okay. Uh,
0: one more caller, in this case somebody, uh, Paul Deaton, didn't call but sent a couple questions. Um, uh, I, I guess we just kind of answered that one of them. Will, uh, will Representative Kaufman, the author of the domain Moratorium, will he get that moratorium accomplished this session?
1: Well, he's a leadership... I don't think he would have would have moved on it if he didn't think that were true. And I understand that Speaker Grassley has made some comments that it may mm-hmm. be moving forward, at least in the House. All right.
0: More broadly, what is the end game for this legislative session? Is that something you can even, as a minority party member, even attempt to answer?
1: Well, it requires agreement on budget bills by Senate and House Republicans, and then an agreement by from the governor that she would sign she doesn't have to commit to signing everything but she needs to have everything she's looking for in those bills and I presume mm-hmm. those discussions are taking place yeah. as always behind closed doors I can tell you that the budget bills showed up on our debate calendar today for debate starting tomorrow so after the second funnel which was last week right those will be the focus and as soon as the appropriations bills are done we're going home
0: okay so it is an election year, and sessions tend to
1: end earlier in election years. So, we have not had an on-time right. session ending, in my experience, since the Great Recession, when Pat Murphy <laughs> ended it early in 08? yeah. and also the pandemic, to a certain extent, right. closed down that so, session very but, much. early. But
0: this might this might be the year when people get out of the state house by April, by the middle of April.
1: That's when the hundred days of. Uh, Expense money runs out, and people are <laughs> That's worrying one. about where their next meal <laughs> one way to, their one lodging way to is coming
0: Send from. legislators home is take away their candy, right? Okay. Um, I, let me see if I can read this last question from Paul. What does the legislature need to do for the carbon capture and sequestration companies to move forward as they uh, apparently planned? I don't.
1: Well, unless, again, you've whether it's a Supreme Court issue that's in front of the courts or something that's you know, active, um, proceedings are active in front of regulatory bodies, you generally see a resident a reticence by legislators to make major changes in the law while those things are being considered. So that's kind of a, a principle thing that applies to a lot of these mm-hmm. situations. So I don't know if there's gonna be a taste for you know, changing the rules of the game, so to speak, Hmm. in the middle of the game we'll see that being said um the decision unless 51 plus 26 plus one people agree on it is wholly within the domain of the iowa utilities board yeah and they have to make a determination that there's a public benefit from this and i think that is where people um should focus and unless something else happens should be focusing their energy
0: one one broader question again to, to wrap it up uh, back to climate change um you and I are both deeply concerned about the direction that this is heading, and I think um, more and more people are beginning to see that uh, the impacts of climate change are serious and ramping up and potentially very devastating. Um, at what point will climate no longer be a partisan issue? Are we getting to the point where Republicans and Democrats both agree, yeah, we've got a problem, let's do something about it, let's work together?
1: Well, if you don't use the word climate i think we're, we may actually be coming together in <laughs> certain areas what should i call areas. sorry <laughs> <laughs> well honestly uh, when, when we when the legislature changed the name of our state climatology bureau to the bureau of the climate bureau it used to be something else having to do with the weather we put in place we offered an amendment that said that climate considerations should be part of that job hmm. and that was but we didn't call it climate we called it atmospheric uh you know a reduction of, <laughs> you know we came up with a term of art okay because we knew that you use the word climate it's dead so i right. think people understand <laughs> yeah. the manifestations of a changing climate and, right. a, and flooding is a big one we've done a lot in recent and drought Drought, we've done a lot of things to address the impacts, uh, not necessarily to prevent them, but to mitigate and to become more resilient. Yeah. Uh, and I think if you come at it from those directions, that we can have uh, significant
0: changes. Chuck, thank you uh, so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us here. Thanks for having me. Folks, have been talking about uh, Chuck Eisenhart. He's a Democrat from Dubuque, serving his seventh term at the Iowa State House. Uh, and this is Ed Fallon. When we come back from a short break, Kathy Burns with Birds and Bees Urban Farms is gonna join us for a conversation about spring having sprung. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Clipsham is adamantly and actively committed to supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Mark knows we must all live and work with the goal of building better health for both people and planet, and he works to implement that vision through his stewardship of Architecture by Synthesis. You can learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com.
2: At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures, great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766.
0: Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Remember, you can support this alternative to the right-wing shock jocks by becoming a monthly donor. Or if you own a small business or are with a nonprofit doing good work, you can also become a sponsor of this program. Thanks to our sponsors, including Groovy Goods. That's Des Moines' one-stop hippie shop where everyone is welcome and no one is judged. Groovy Goods is a tribe brought together by peace, love, and rock and roll. Learn more at groovy-goods.com or stop in at 23rd and University in Des Moines. Kathy Burns with Birds and Bees Urban Farm joins us now to discuss spring. Well, at least here in Des Moines, it has sprung. Congratulations.
2: Thank you. And it came (laughs) suddenly, which it doesn't always do. Sometimes it creeps in and we have winter, spring, winter, spring, winter, spring, and... Just a, a few days ago, boom.
0: Well, we're, we're, uh, we're, we are recording this program on the, the, uh, the equinox, the spring equinox, and I was looking at my calendar. A year ago today, we planted artichokes, uh, peas, carrots, beets. We already had lettuce, radishes, spinach, arugula in the ground. This has been a very long, long winter, I, and I was digging today. I still found big chunks of ice crystals in the ground.
2: Two things about that Ed and I do keep a, a garden calendar. It's a it's a giant spreadsheet actually, and uh, he checks it pretty often. He's gotten very good at record keeping.
0: Oh,
2: and uh, and we recommend that for everybody. Keep track what you plant year to year, what, what days you plant them, when you harvest, etc. Um, it's very helpful. And then also you you mentioned all the crops that we already had in the ground. Um, Last year on this day, and this year, we just today planted lettuces, spinach, arugula, and radishes.
0: Right, and we did put a few radishes and, and uh, arugula in the cold frame on March 1st. But hey, a cold frame is like an entirely different climate zone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, we, we, also on March 1st, we started harvesting lettuce, and it's our own variety of lettuce. It's a cross that we came up with of various heirlooms, mm-hmm. and it seems to be the strongest... Uh, of all of all the lettuce varieties we buy, and we buy some some we buy lettuce from uh, lettuce seed from from uh, seed savers, and they do they do a great job. But I tell you, the the strongest lettuce we have is our own creation, mm-hmm. which. It doesn't say much about us. It says much about local the foods. adaptability of food in a local area.
2: Well, and we like a variety in our bowl. It's pretty to have different <laughs> colors, different flavors. It, it tastes better, textures. It's a real feel-good experience um, when you're eating a salad with a lot of different greens. So. You know,
0: one risk that people uh, run in, in – I mean, spring is here. People are like, yeah, 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 let's get out and plant. And one risk, is, of course, is tilling the soil when it's still too wet – and I just mentioned turning over a clod of, uh, <laughs> of of uh, soil with ice crystals still in it. That's a good sign that it's probably still a little bit too wet. Mm-hmm. But I will say, most of what I tilled today, and I, I till with a spade, was all, it was a little teeny bit on the wet side, but not so bad that it couldn't be tilled. Uh, and the, you know, the other risk, of course, is waiting too late. <laughs> you know, and, and then, running into then bad you weather. don't
2: have a good growing season.
0: Yeah, or you, or you run into, like, like tomorrow, we're supposed to get rain tomorrow and the next day. So we kind of wanted to beat the uh, mm-hmm. the rain by getting our salad mix into the ground before then.
2: We're also hardening off our onions, which mm. means we are uh, letting them get accustomed to the outside. So we've got our seedlings downstairs, and, and they've been growing nicely. So we've brought them out for an hour in the sunshine, in the air, in the breeze, and then two hours and three hours. Today they were out there. All Day, they were out there last night, yeah. They? Uh, yes, mild. they were. It was
0: so mild last night, they're pretty much hardened off now. And mm-hmm. as soon as we get through this rain, this next rain, and the soil dries out, they're ready to go on the ground.
2: They are ready. And the uh, garlic that we planted last early November, yeah, um, and uh, that season is changing by the way, <laughs> due to you know the changing yeah. seasons from climate change. Uh, I think it grew an inch yesterday.
0: Oh, my lord, because we
2: took the we took the Cover off that we have with the straw is still on it, but they're really they're really out yeah, there. Yeah, the
0: cover is just a uh, chicken wire to keep the squirrels from digging the heck out of it in the fall when other, they're burying their nuts.
2: Other things to keep busy with this time of year, if you have any more leaves that have fallen into your yard, raking those up, getting them into your compost, and of course blending that with whatever old manure you have lying around, mm-hmm, yeah. um, making sure there's moisture and a good balance of materials in there. Yeah,
0: and we like to just throw our leaves into the chicken pen, chickens scratch around, find what they can, and then eventually it goes into the compost. And, uh, you know, right now we have so many leaves in the chicken pen that we have enough carbon material probably to get us through the entire composting season. I mean, it's about a foot deep.
2: We get a lot of questions on composting. All of the things that we're discussing today are uh, topics that we have in line for our workshop participants this uh, Thursday yeah. of this uh, week it's our March workshop, and we'll be covering the, um, how to use raised beds, how to make the, sure the soil is ready. Um, we'll follow up on the seeds that we all started in February, see how they're doing, and managing and harvesting the cold frame. Yeah. So those are uh, workshop topics and topics that we're just happy to share with everybody uh, listening.
0: I will say the biggest challenge with a cold frame this time of the year is keeping it from getting too hot. I mean, if it gets into the 40s outside and your cold frame is shut, it can be 80 or more mm-hmm. inside. And so you've you got to got open that and let some air out. And the other problem with that, we find, is that if you, uh, like for today we have a south wind, so you can't open the lid of the cold frame, which faces south, <laughs> too high, or that south wind Whoop. is going to take that lid and blow it off. So we either reopen it a little bit, or you, some people I see have ways of securing that, that lid so it doesn't flip over when the wind takes it.
2: Other things to be ready for this time of year are being ready to be nimble when the weather changes quickly. It can. It's what 72 74 high, today, seventy two degrees. Seventy four today, which is kind of today. crazy
0: hot for March twenty first.
2: Last night the low was fifty six, I believe. But in a couple of days we're going to get below freezing. Twenty nine degrees, yeah. So <laughs> as soon as your as soon as your little lettuces and tender crops start to come up, you're going to have to have some sheets ready to go out and cover them up, making sure you leave headspace above them so you don't squash them. Squash And making sure you've got those supplies ready to go yeah. because you're going to get a freeze when your crops are just starting to come up and then you'll need that stuff right away.
0: Now one point of criticism that they, we both hear is uh, don't plant too early. Plant wait till after the last frost, and, and we don't we don't buy into that because, and again, if you're doing a large, if you're if you're a big farm and you're growing commercially, yeah, that's one mm-hmm. thing. But when you're growing for home production, I mean, we grow half our own food on less than a tenth of an acre. Well, I guess maybe an eighth of it, an yep. acre. But the, um, but you know, if we plant, if we we take our chances. I mean, we again, we planted artichokes March twenty first last year. And when there was a couple cold nights, we just put blankets over them. And we have a lot of old, dirty blankets saved up. We make sure they're dirty first. <laughs> well, yeah, you make sure yeah. they're dirty first, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, if for some reason a plant, you put out, put it out early, a frost comes, it dies, you can replant if you don't have a huge scale you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. So I'm all for planting early.
2: And as far as these sheets and blankets that you're putting over your crops, some folks would tell you just use big sheets of plastic. Don't do no. that because that is just like inviting a cold chill into your into your garden space. Use sheets or blankets for a better barrier against the cold. It's good insulation. And
0: plastic is bad.
2: Plastic is bad. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> boo on plastic. Boo on
0: plastic. Boo on, uh, on uh, what's it called again? The landscape fabric, landscape which will which will we'll discuss some other day. Topic. Thanks for joining us, Kathy. You're Appreciate welcome. your your conversation here. And thanks to our guest today, in studio guest, Representative Chuck Eisenhart. Thanks to our callers and also to our production team of Sherry Herdina, Forrest Determan, Charles Goldman, Kathy Burns, and myself, Ed Fallon. Uh, Thanks to our local small business partners, including Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Western Optometry, Groovy Goods, and Dr. David Drake Family Psychiatry. Also thanks to our nonprofit partners, Bold Iowa and Birds and Bees Urban Farm. And remember, your support for this program matters a lot. Go to the Fallon Forum website to learn more about how you can make a difference. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week with another hour of cutting-edge talk radio.